dear brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes when I have a down moment at, at home, I don't have to do anything, or watching a TV show and a commercial comes on, I'll take out my phone and look at Instagram and watch videos. One of the videos, one of the kind of themes of videos that's been pushed to my phone recently by, by Instagram's algorithm is what I would call extreme skiing. And, and when I say extreme, I mean extreme. These are guys are getting dropped off on top of mountains by helicopters, obviously. There's no trails there, just, just shoots that avalanches create. And they go down the hill. Some of them got GoPro cameras on their head. Others are being obviously photographed from the helicopter that dropped them off. And they go down steep, steep hills through waist-deep, sometimes chest-deep powder. And then they go off of cliffs. And I'm not talking about 10-foot cliff. I'm talking about 60, 100-foot cliff way off flying and they land in the powder and they disappear and they they come back out and they keep going it is just amazing you wouldn't think anybody would survive it it is is it's certifiable is what it is some of them and some of them they touch off avalanches and i've seen guys skiing in front of an avalanche, obviously going as fast as they can go because that moves pretty fast. And they get to the side and the avalanche goes by. I, I don't think they put on Instagram the ones where the guy dies. Um, but it is quite something to see. Another similar thing that also has been showing up in my feed is, it is a, I guess you'd call it a sport, pastime. Parkour, you know what parkour is? Parkour is something you do in a, mostly in an urban setting. And it's where you run up buildings and grab the window ledge or, or climb a building without help using just your fingertips. Or if there's posts in a row, you jump from post to post to post. And I see in that a, a real high possibility of a trip to the ER. I mean, it is just dangerous stuff but the people who obviously post their stuff lived and succeeded at doing what they did and it's pretty amazing them jumping back and forth scaling buildings like spider-man well i'm 60 now and if i'm gonna pick up a sport at this point I'm a little bit more at the pickleball speed than, than parkour or extreme skiing. I can ski, but I need a groomed slope. I'm not going on top of any mountain like that. Because there is a high possibility of, well, death. And the thing we're going to talk about today, definitely not a sport, very extreme. You would think it not be possible and there is a high likelihood of death. In fact, that's exactly why it's done. And I'm talking about the Son of God becoming a human being. Now, on Christmas, I think we can think we think about the virgin birth, think that's pretty 
pretty special and unusual. We don't really wrap our mind around just the fact that the Son of God becomes a human. I'd like to remind you just exactly who the Son of God is and and what he is capable of. We heard a bunch of it in the readings that we had. First of all, it said, not only in John, but also in Hebrews, uh, that he had created all things. All things. So when you look at the massive engineering, bioengineering, nanoengineering, extremely small, that is in every living thing, when you gain an appreciation of that, you gain appreciation that some very, very intelligent mind has put that together. And maybe, maybe when reading the stories of Jesus, you don't put together that he is of super intelligence. And then there's power. We look out into deep space and we see its vastness and we see the amount of energy in it, incomprehensible. We think that it is something that could only happen by chance. But how could it happen by chance? When you look at its details, it's clearly designed. It is done by the Son of God. This very planet, its shape, how it works, the universe, and all its details about how it works, not only beautiful, but extremely fine-tuned and of great, great power, and all of it, the Son of God. Now, we get all a Twitter when we meet somebody who's maybe made a movie or scored a touchdown. Who cares? You know? You and I, we speak to the Son of God who's done all these things. And when you think about that vast, vast power, how does it fit in a little tiny baby? And I will confess, I don't know. I just know that it did. One person, now, this being who created all things, becomes one person and a very, very human person. And sometimes we don't get this quality that he is willing to stoop down to do what I would consider to be the most disgusting job of them all. And we try to assert to him, some sort of glory that says, oh, he won't do this, or he won't do that. For instance, this Catholic church, we all acknowledge that he's born of of God and a virgin mother, and that Mary was a, a very pure young woman. But the Catholic Church says, well, she must also be of divine birth. And now we got the Immaculate Conception. 
And that, that isn't in a scripture. And that misses the point. That God's getting in there with us. Okay? Martin Luther, at least at this early part of his life, he, he went along with the idea that Mary was, quote-unquote, ever virgin, which basically meant not only did she not have sex and children later, but she didn't really birth Jesus in a traditional way. He was kind of born by divine C-section, if you will. You know, sort of appear on the outside, nice and clean and tidy. Now, in this crowd, I think there's a fair number of you who have either given birth or have observed birth. And one thing we know about birth is it's not very clean. It is a mess, a painful mess. Son of God wouldn't do that, would he? Oh, I think that's exactly the point, that he would. I, I, am, I bet my bottom dollar that Jesus came out the birth canal with a funny-shaped head and weird color and all that stuff, because that's what he's doing. He's taking on who we are. That's one of the reasons why he's born in a major and not in a five-star hotel. He is... Humble. And how can the creator of all things be humble? Because that's just who he is. And you know what? The disciples of the creator of all things should take that to heart. We should be humble as well. And when I say humble, I would say if there's a job to be done, no matter how low, no matter how vile, and we're there, it's your job. You take it on. You're not above it. Jesus was not above it. Jesus was not above anything. What does the Son of God do? Well, we got the Gospels. You know, it's, it's hitting the high points. It doesn't give you a running account of 35 years of life. So does Jesus eat? Yes. Does he need to eat? I guess. Does he sleep? Yeah. Does he get tired? Clearly. Does Jesus go to the bathroom? I'm going to guess that he did. That's maybe not a deep theological point that we debated at seminary, but it gets to the point. Jesus became one of us. The Son of God became one of us. And there's only one exception I can say for sure that he has with the rest of your experience. And that is, he does not have sin. And maybe that impacts some of the rest of his life, like being sick, for instance. But he does not have sin. That's what he needs to be. Other than that, you get to see, or at least you get to read about God in the flesh, what his personality is like, what it has always been like, what it was back then, what it is today. Very relatable. The kind of person you want to be around. That's what God is. Kind, merciful, 
very patient. But let's also note this. He is very, very put off by human self-righteousness. That does not go. So self-righteous pride is something that you want to do away with. Because Jesus just doesn't fly with that. And especially when it comes to corrupting, to using God's law for something corrupt, then you're going to get the business end of Jesus. And you're going to see his wrath and understand that he's not just perfectly laid back where nothing at all will ever disturb him. You can cross a line and you can get what's coming to you. So don't. He's patient, but he's not eternally patient. He is loving. And even when it comes to bringing wrath or judgment on somebody, it's not something he does lightly. It's something he does with pain. So you get to see his personality, and you get to see at least a little of his power. How much of this vast power that the Son of God had is now reduced in being incarnate. Well, uh, he can still walk on water. He can still break the laws of physics. Uh, he can still heal in an instant. There's a lot of things he can do. I guess we'd have to say we don't know the scope of, of what he still can do. With temptation, none from within, only external. External from Satan, external from people. He weathers it all because he is here to fulfill the law, and that he did. It does speak of him as being God's firstborn. That's not to suggest that he didn't exist before. That's suggesting that once he became a human, that's a first. There was never any other like him. And he is also firstborn of the dead, which means that Jesus is the Son of God in a resurrected human body to this day. And what can that do? Don't be so foolish as to say he can't do this or he can't do that. And it really does matter because Jesus still does some things that that a lot of people balk at and they don't believe that it's true. For instance... The Bible speaks frequently about us being part of the body of Christ. And we're okay with that as long as we think it's a metaphor. Or if we say, you know, we act as Jesus' hands because we believe like Jesus and then we act on our own. But that is not at all what it's saying. It is saying that there is some mystic way that each one of us who are saved by Christ are connected to Christ himself. That's why we are saved. And it is why when we step out into this world to do the work of God, that really Jesus ends up working through us. And you will see results that don't make sense for you with your limited abilities to have that kind of success. 
It is Jesus working beyond us. How does he do that? Well, he's the incarnate son of God. That's all I can say. Then, beyond that, and we're going to experience later, the Lord's Supper. Is it just uh, a very strange way to remember somebody? I mean, come on. If, if it was just about remembering or proclaiming Christ, you don't have to do this. You don't have to symbolically eat somebody's body and drink somebody's blood. That's gross symbolically. But if we need inside of us the body and blood of Christ, who are we to say, Jesus can't do that? He's not big enough. He's not strong enough. He can't do that. No, I'm pretty sure he can do whatever he wanted. He fed 5,000 with a box lunch. This isn't really that big a challenge. It's maybe just a challenge for us. So we should never, ever say, Jesus can't. And that goes finally with him saying, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And there's going to be moments where you think Jesus isn't, but he is. Or Jesus can't, but he can. And remember, that you walk with Jesus, you walk with him all the way, and you're going to see him in a new way, face to face when you leave this world. But you're already experiencing him now because he can. In Jesus' name, amen.